Well, good morning. We are in a sermon series on what Scripture says about our baptism. Each week, we are examining passages of Scripture to see what baptism means for those of us who have been baptized and what it could mean for those of us who haven't. And our hope each week in during this series is to see how our baptism forms our identity and speaks to who we are and how to live in that identity. So we've already seen in this series uh, Jesus' baptism. He shows that his solidarity is with us and that our baptism points towards the cleansing power of Jesus' blood given to us. A few weeks ago, we looked at how our baptism means we are united with Christ and with his body, the church. And last week, Pastor Aaron talked about how our baptism sets us up into unity with one another. And so this week, we're going to look at the idea of being baptized into Christ Jesus gives us a new status and a clear identity of who we are. So let me read for us from Romans 6, 1 through 4, and you can listen as I read or follow along in your order of worship. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the hope Even what our New Testament passage said, our reading said that you are the vine and we are the branches. And we could do nothing without you providing all that we need. And that includes even understanding your word and understanding how it applies to our life. So we ask that you meet us wherever we are now. If we are glad to be here, if we are feeling numb, feeling discouraged, feeling apathetic, if we are just not feeling healthy emotionally, physically, or spiritually, or we're feeling great, in whatever place we're in right now, meet us with your spirit and your grace and point us to the truth of the gospel. In your name, amen. Well, when I was in sixth grade, I started attending a small Lutheran school uh, in Des Plaines, Illinois, and it was like the first or second week I was there. And I found myself in the locker room with a bunch of eighth grade boys. Now, I remember it this way. They were probably like six feet tall. They were very muscular. Some even had mustaches. And I was this puny little sixth grader alone with these cool, intimidating eighth grade boys. Well, one of them grabs me and takes my arm and puts it behind my back and says, say the eighth grade rules. And I was like, what? And he said, say the eighth grade rules. And I said, I don't know them. Well, this got them really upset. I didn't understand. They got around me, and the guy kept pulling my arm back saying, say the eighth grade rules. And I kept saying, I don't know them. I don't know them. And finally, he looked at me, and he said, repeat after me the eighth grade rules. And I waited for him to tell me the rules, and he never told me them. (laughs) All right, so your laughter shows me that you're a lot smarter than I am. I thought the rules meant don't chew gum or don't run or don't do this. They meant the eighth grade rocks. The eighth grade is awesome. The eighth graders rule. (laughs) Well, my misunderstanding of language caused me some pain that afternoon. My misunderstanding of what they were looking for caused me some problems. 
And I got to say that I thought about that story this week as I was reading over this passage for us this morning. There's a question that this passage starts off with by Paul that shows a possible misunderstanding of what Paul has been saying up to this point in his letter. There's a misunderstanding that the good news of the gospel means we can live any way we want and it doesn't matter. The gospel sets us free from the penalty of sin, so why not just keep on sinning? What then shall we say, Paul begins, are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? What then shall we say, Paul is pointing back to much of what he has been written, he has wrote in the previous section, and especially the words that he ends the last chapter with. Paul in the end of chapter 5 speaks about when sin abounds, Grace superabounds. Paul lets his reader know that grace is found more and more as sin multiplies. Literally, Paul writes these words in chapter 5. When sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So if this is true, why not just keep on sinning? Now Paul will address that question right away, but let me be clear. What Paul is saying about grace is 100% true. There is nothing you can do that grace cannot take care of. There is no sin. There is no evil. There is no failing in your life where God cannot bring his grace in to overcome it. There is no place you can run from God. There is no thing you can do against God. There is no sin you can keep doing before God where grace and forgiveness will not still be offered to you. There is no sin too powerful that grace can't meet you if you turn to Jesus with faith and repentance. The gospel truth is a wonderful good news for us. And we need to ask, do we really believe this to be true? Do you know that all the ways that we fall short of loving God and loving our neighbor, that grace abounds in our need? Do you know that the guilt and the shame and the things you try to hide from others out of fear of being known, God not only knows and sees what you do, but he still loves you and offers his grace in the midst of your sin. Where sin abounds, grace superabounds. And I believe some of you need to hear that right now. Because some of you believe you're beyond the hope of grace. That you're beyond the possibility of forgiveness. And that is a lie. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so when we come to Jesus, his grace is far greater than our sin. And the more we believe this, the more we affirm this, the more we see the astounding grace God offers to us, the more we can answer Paul's question, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, Paul says. How can we who died to sin still live in it? When we turn to Jesus, when it comes to sin, it doesn't mean we won't be tempted again. When we turn to Jesus in faith, it doesn't mean that we're incapable of sinning. When we turn to Jesus in faith, it doesn't mean that suddenly we're going to change. Some things might never change. I believe you guys know this to be true and feel this in your life like I do in mine. But what is true and what is important to believe and apply to our lives is this. In Christ, we are in a different place or status when it comes to sin. In Christ, our status has changed. We are no longer located in sin. Grace has met us there and changed our status. We are dead to sin. 
we are freed from sin. We are no longer under its reign and power. Paul's question of how can we who have died to sin still live in it makes sure we know that we do not live under the reign of sin and death, but in Christ we live under the reign of grace and righteousness. Christians do not live in the state of a dark kingdom of sin and death, but instead our status is secure in the light kingdom of grace and life. And Paul uses various analogies throughout this book of Romans. He talks about death and life. He talks about slavery and freedom. And he uses an important imagery in the previous chapter, chapter 5, that is important for us to understand what it means to have a new status when it comes to our sin. Paul uses, in chapter 5 of Romans, he compares our first parent, Adam, who sinned in the garden, to Jesus. Paul talks about the reign of Adam which leads to death alongside the reign of Jesus that leads to life. And the misunderstanding that like happened to me in the locker room in my opening illustration is that some of us believe or act like we still are in Adam. We believe or act like we're still controlled by the reign of sin, darkness, and despair. The misunderstanding for many of us is that we really don't believe we are free And we don't believe or live in our new status in Christ and all that he has done for us. And here's how this plays out in our life. Here is how at times some of us act and live like we are under the reign and power of sin. Some of us find our significance and value in ourselves. In how others view us rather than in God and how he views us. Some of us don't look for our status in Christ, but rather our status in our job our status in our reputation, our status in our abilities. And for some of us today, it is consuming us. We find ourselves consumed with how much we are recognized, valued, and seen by others. And when we don't get the recognition we think we deserve, when we don't feel valued or seen like we think we deserve, we get angry. We get jealous. We don't treat others with respect. So instead of loving and valuing others for who they are, we often use others to make us feel valued. This, brothers and sisters, is living under the reign of Adam and sin and death, which we are not in. For others, living under the reign and sin comes up in our day-to-day lives when we face pain and struggles and suffering, living in a fallen, broken world. Sometimes some of us live like we're under the reign of sin by acting like it is up to us alone to get through the pain. We think in and of ourselves we have what it takes to help with the pain and the suffering and the struggle. Some of us don't really believe, or at least we don't live, like God is in control. We don't believe that God has something better for us than we can make ourselves. So that means we act and live like any comfort or peace or security or hope that we long for must come from ourselves and our ability to make it happen. And this constant drive to make things better either consumes us so much we have no time for others, or the weight of trying to find comfort and security crushes us so we numb ourselves with isolation, with escape, with addictions. That is living like we are under the reign of Adam, the reign of sin and death. And maybe these uh, examples do not resonate with you today. 
Maybe you don't feel that pull of living under the reign of Adam. But maybe you feel stuck right now in a certain sin that you can't seem to overcome. Maybe you are tired of seeing very little improvement in your life when it comes to a change in your heart, your attitude, your behaviors. You know, some of us have tried really hard to fight against sin. We try as best we can to not let sin have a reign in our lives, and nothing seems to change. Perhaps during our confession time, you said, God, I promise I will not do blank again. And how often do we break that promise? We might believe in grace. We might believe in the forgiveness of sins. We might believe in Jesus. But when we feel when it comes to sin and our status, we feel hopeless that we can't get past the disappointment of who we are and what we keep doing. So what does Paul say to us when we feel like that? What does Paul point to and remind us when we feel like we can't overcome the sin in our lives? Well, look again with me at verses 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul asks this probing question for you and me today. Do you not know? Do you not know? Do you not know who you are in Christ Jesus? Do you not know that those of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized and buried into his death? Now Paul's use of baptism here could be surprising for us considering the prominence he gave to faith in the previous chapters in Romans. We might have expected Paul to say something like this. Those of us who have believed in Christ Jesus have been united in his death. Or we might expect him to say that we were buried with him through our faith in his death. But that is not what Paul says here. Paul says that in our baptism, we become joined with Christ. Our baptism is a sign and seal of our union with Christ. Our baptism is a sign and seal of the redemption Jesus purchased on the cross and the resurrection for us. Our baptism, when we rest in Jesus by faith, joins us to him and his death and resurrection. The good news is we rest in Jesus by faith. What is true of Jesus is true of us. This is the main truth that will help us fight against the temptations of sin. When we rest in Jesus by faith, what is true of Jesus is true of us. And the truth of what Paul is saying regarding our status given to us by Jesus and in Jesus has great significance for you and me today. We are not under the reign of Adam. We are under the reign of Jesus. The good news of the gospel, the good news and hope for all of us in our lives as followers of Jesus is the important reality that Jesus entered into the life of Adam. He faced all the pain and rejection and death that you and I should have faced for the sake of you and I. Jesus bore it all because he was acting in our place and on our behalf. And this is the hope of being united with Christ in his death and resurrection. That is why Paul often in his letters speak of coming into the Messiah or being in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say that we are baptized like Christ or buried like he was. 
It says clearly we are baptized into him. We were baptized into his death and buried with him. So even though we don't always live like it is true, what Paul is saying to us today is living in the reign of sin is not possible because of our union with Christ. Salvation in Jesus Christ is a deliverance from the power of sin just as surely as it is deliverance from the guilt of sin. In Jesus, not just the guilt, but the power of sin has been defeated. Our status changed from living in the reign of sin and death to freedom and life because of the union with Christ that we have. And the effects of being identified with Christ in all the major events of his redemptive work his death, his burial, and his resurrection means that we now presently have the ability to walk in newness of life. All the righteousness and the holiness we desire, the new life we long for, is found completely outside ourselves and our own ability. The call to walk in newness of life at the end of this passage is not about learning new skills. It's about realizing the skills we have already been given. Walking in newness of life is not about trying harder. It's about believing better. To walk in newness of life is to believe and recognize the change in status you have been given in Christ. And then to take steps to bring your actual life into line with the person you have become in Christ Jesus. It's about believing and applying the truth of what our baptism points to. As I keep saying, your baptism and mine means what is true of Jesus is true of you and I. And just think about what this practically means for our lives. In our first sermon in this series, Pastor Aaron talked about the baptism of Jesus by John. And do you remember the words Jesus said about his son at that baptism? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is my son who I love. He is worth everything. He pleases me greatly. If what is true of Jesus is true of you and me, that means God says to you right now, you are my son. You are my daughter. I am pleased with you. We are loved deeply by God. Whenever we remember our baptism or we see a baptism happen here, We need to remember our identity is found in Jesus and that we are loved by him and he is pleased with us. This is who we are in Christ. This is a status as his loved children as we walk in the newness of life he provides for us. So for example, instead of the times that I mentioned earlier in the sermon when we find ourselves consumed with how we are recognized and valued and seen by others, to believe who we are in Christ, to know that Christ is leading us holding us, guiding in our lives as we walk in newness of life, we can actually care for others more than ourselves. When we know who we are in Christ and what he sees us as value and loved and cherished, we can then recognize and value others rather than just try to seek recognition from them. To believe you are in Christ can help you see others around you to actually be present with others in their times of need rather than just thinking, how can this person meet my needs? We have everything in Christ to help us live and love this way. We need to believe that. And as well, instead of the struggle I mentioned earlier of finding comfort or peace or security or hope in things other than God, we can find all the comfort and peace and hope in Christ. He has given it to us already. 
And all the comfort and peace in Christ can help us then, through Christ, be agents of comfort and peace and hope to the broken world around us. So things like volunteering here and volunteering at Breakthrough and helping out at World Relief and the many other organizations that so many of you volunteer at, it matters and it is good. It is a great response because of who we are in Christ to model who Christ is to others, to care for others, to love others, to provide others the peace and the hope and the joy and the comfort that they long for. Rather than seeking security and comfort in our lives, we can know we have comfort in Christ and as deeply loved sons and daughters of God, that can be the motivation to go into this world and serve and love a world that is longing for love, that is longing for comfort, that is longing for significance. You have the power to do this. You have the status right now to live this way. You have been baptized into Christ Jesus. You have been buried into Christ Jesus, and you have been raised into Christ Jesus. Believe it. It is true. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the reality that you care for us more than we even know, and you love us more than we can ever understand. And Father, we thank you that you have put us in a position where we can know that in Christ we are free from sin, even though we don't always feel that way. May we believe that and may it help us live our lives in response to your wonderful grace and hope and love. In your name, amen.